Triple G and the rest, like an overhand right from Crusher Kovalev. The tale of the tape on TheBoxingRant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. It's the tale of the tape on TheBoxingRant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and with me as always, my co-host and partner in crime, Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? Not much, man. It has been a busy week in the world of professional prize fighting, and we were gifted with the fight we've all been waiting for as Floyd Mayweather announced Friday evening via his social media interest, Shots, a picture of a signed contract with the signatures of himself, Money Mayweather, and Manny Pacquiao set to square off officially. It is official May 2nd, 2015, just 10 weeks away from the super fight at the MGM Grand Garden Arena for a unification bout in the 147-pound division. What do you say about this, Ben? I want to thank somebody. I want to hug somebody. My pants automatically drop every time I think about it. I'm that excited. <laughs> I, dude, I don't know what to say, man. I'm just completely and utterly just so happy that this is finally, finally going to happen. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around how busy the boxing schedule is. It's yeah. like, am I going to have to buy another TV and another like cable line? Am I going to have to get a separate account for all this simultaneous DVRing that's going to have to take place? Yeah, you ain't kidding, man. It is stacked and packed, brother. Yes, sir. Well, in a few days, I'll be back with a brand new episode of The Boxing Rant, where I will have a special guest in my Tale of the Tape co-host, Vince Cummings. We will talk anything and everything Mayweather Pacquiao. So don't think we're shortchanging you on this episode of The Tale of the Tape. But as it pertains to this show, we have a special post-fight edition for you as it was the return of the beast of boxing. Triple G Gennady Golovkin returned to the ring last night in Monte Carlo as he took on the UK's Martin Murray. Martin Murray, by all accounts, by every piece of information, every reel of film, every fight he has been in, is a legitimate, big, strong, top three middleweight in the world. Wouldn't you say, Ben? I, I don't think there's any question about that. And, and on top of that, after last night, you cannot question that guy's toughness, man. Coming into this fight, man, the very first thing that I noticed, Vin, in this first round is something that we didn't really talk very much about in episode 36, the Golovkin-Murray preview, but something that we have talked about in previous lead-ins to a Triple G fight, and that is Triple G, he does not like to waste punches in the early rounds of fights. He's very calculated, and he's very observant. Mm-hmm. Triple G is kind of, he's that fighter that he's not going to come out and just, you know, he's not even worried about getting his power to your chin and touching you. He's more worried about setting up his line of attack and how he's going to cut off the ring and where he's going to get you, where he wants you in his range and unload just, you know, the accurate punches that we saw once again from this guy. From the beginning of this fight in that first round, Ben, as he's sizing, as he's measuring, I was getting a little nervous and I'm not sure if... Maybe it was because of, you know, Martin Murray looks so physically different than any of the other opponents that have been in the ring with him, and that it seemed like Murray was going to try to fight him. He was going to try to engage him a little bit, and I couldn't quite tell how much of it was measuring, you know, and calculating and patience and not wanting to waste punches when they weren't there, or how much it was that he wasn't exactly sure how to get in on him, because... I don't know if you noticed it, but it seemed pretty clear to me. Murray was very well protected in that first round. Like he, he pretty much had every corner of, of real estate where Triple G could do his most damage. He had pretty well protected. Murray did a very good job at the beginning of that fight. You know, us fans and, and me and you watching thought, hey, maybe this guy's establishing 
himself early and you know triple g is going to have to make an adjustment at some point in this fight uh it didn't quite turn out that way but but murray did some some real nice work earlier and it looked like it might be a you know a, a tough fight yeah you know what it, it looked to me that murray had uh had been exchanging notes with Virgil Hunter, the way that he was jumping in, throwing a punch, and grabbing him. I mean, early on, it looked like he was not going to let Triple G do what he wanted to do. I'm just curious, at what point in the fight did that stop? You know what I mean? At what point did the clinching not become effective anymore? Did he realize that because he was leaving his chin wide open the entire fight, that he could not hold and get inside. I mean, I know the referee had something to do with it. Right. The referee finally was able to get those two separated enough. But I think when when they were inside and he would grab a hold of Triple G's left arm and, and, and basically it almost looked like at, at one point he was trying to take his gloves off his hands, mm-hmm. that Triple G would shoot an uppercut in there. Maybe he just thought, you know, it's not worth it. Right. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really sure. You had texted me after the third round and you scored it. Two to one for Murray. Why did you have it two to one for Murray after the first three rounds? Uh, I know a lot of people gave Golovkin the first round. Um, I, I gave it to Murray just based on his activity. Okay, uh, Golovkin just you know I understand he landed a, a couple significant shots, but Murray was just way more active, and and Golovkin really wasn't controlling the fight at that point and where it was going. It was a toss up for me. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. Murray's game plan seemed to be successful but at the same time we we just talked about triple g's game plan and how he likes to come out and measure and size his opponent up so who whose game plan was more effective yeah (laughs) really you can't say i mean it's tough call but you know one thing i did notice in the first two rounds is that triple g was struggling to find range yeah you know and i know that that's part of the program that he has to establish that but this was the first time in any fight that i've watched with triple g where i've i've seen him noticeably whiffing multiple times yeah i want to say maybe it was a little bit of anxiousness maybe who who knows you know triple g is not he's not flawless he is going to make some mistakes yeah you know we do have to expect that at, at some point the, as much as the guys has taken boxing by storm and, and everybody is just ready to just gush over uh, over him like we are and, and everybody else there's there is flaws to the guy yeah and i well i think you also have to stop for a second and give and just give credit to murray yeah I mean, you know what I mean? He's just he's just a better opponent. If you're in there with a better fighter, you're not going to be able to do everything that you want. No, this was no Marco Antonio Rubio. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't at all. As he struggled to find his range and gain real estate against Murray, the third round, Triple G just flat out dominated. From that point on, there was no looking back no. from Triple G whatsoever. From that point on, implemented his game plan at will. It was top-notch boxing in that yeah, round that, that was one thing that I think he kind of showed everybody a little bit more than we expected was you know this guy this guy can box much like Kovalev did against Hopkins mm-hmm. we became a little bit more impressed with this guy's overall boxing ability absolutely and then sure enough as soon as we become impressed with his boxing ability the very next round the <laughs> body shot that just completely disemboweled Martin Murray my god man that was a that was just at one of the most brutal right hooks to the body and he almost whiffed yeah I mean he literally almost whiffed have you seen a puncher that literally follows through like Triple G no, does he, he goes completely 100% through the target you see the power the concussive power when he makes contact and you especially when you watch film in slow motion you see the bodies just vibrating from yep. the impact right but you really got to see how much he puts into the punch on those whiffs because he would almost spin completely around. Yeah, he gets off balance big time. Absolutely. So Murray was hurt big time on that shot to the gut, gasping for air, got up, and then soon after there was a second knockdown. And then the phantom bell. The referee stopped the round when there was 30 seconds left. Yeah, and then the bell rang with 10 seconds left. <laughs> Maybe the the timekeepers that Triple G fights are so in awe of him, right. they're not even paying attention to what's going on. Remember the Gill fight? The first round of that fight was four minutes long. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot. Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. Everybody's just enthralled with, with Triple G, not paying attention. Yeah, it's mesmerizing, man. I mean, how many opportunities are you going to get to see this guy? 
You know, yep. whether you're whether you're the guy tabulating copy box or you're the guy who's in charge of the clock or you're the guy that's in charge of banging the two sticks together to say there's 10 seconds left. <laughs> <laughs> it was seek and destroy from that point on. Murray's face really started to show damage in the fifth round as he was bloodied to a pulp from that point on. From the fifth round to the 10th round, it was much of the same. It was a mesmerizing performance by Triple G. As the rounds progressed, Vin, I began to notice some defensive things that stood out to me. Triple G was moving his head, shifting his shoulders. He became very shifty, very mobile. He began to hone in on those pieces of real estate that I spoke of before that weren't open in the first round. He knew where his target was. He knew how to get to his target. And then you saw him to begin to manipulate his body, to put it in position two steps ahead of what his next move was going to be. The biggest thing I think we come away from in this fight with Triple G is that, you know, everybody, we had all the questions as, as far as when it gets deep into a fight, how's this guy going to handle it? Does the power carry over? I, I think we saw that Triple G got better as this fight went on. Uh, there was no question about it. Early in the fight, he had, I, wanna, I don't even want to say struggles. He just kind of bided his time and, and was patient, like we've said. Later on in that fight, like you've just said, that he became a fighter that we haven't seen yet. And I think maybe it's because he got stretched to that point that Murray took him that far. Mm -hmm. And it's not that he was taking a beating to get that far. It's just that he had to do a little bit of extra work to get this good fighter standing in front of him out of there. No, I think it's a great point, man. I mean, that's what you see in so many fights. You know, you will see fights where there are not many changes, where two guys are sort of, their feet are in concrete and there's nowhere to go. Uh, there's not much evolution. One fight in particular that stands out to me, Guerrero Kamagai. Yeah. Okay? Where you wanted at some point for somebody to step out, you know? Mm -hmm. You wanted Guerrero to slip out and start boxing, but he never did. This was a fight that as the physical demeanor and the well-being of Martin Murray, as that began to change, his game plan was on the run. He had to adapt and adjust and while his heart kept him in the fight as long as possible it changed the way he was fighting the fight which in turn resulted in a very astute educated aware triple g that was able to adapt to whatever changes were being made in the corner of martin murray i think martin murray showed so much in this fight that i hadn't seen out of him before I think that if he would have fought with this same level of grit and determination as he fought in this fight, in this beating that he took from Triple G, I'm telling you right now, we're talking about decisive victories against Sergio Martinez and Felix Sturm. Cannot argue with that in the least. I, seeing this fight surprised me that we, we didn't see that from him before because obviously it's there and he has it. He proved it to us. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the sport of boxing that will ever question this guy's heart or toughness after last night. No, no, not at all. You know, that was one of the big pieces of episode 36 as we went into detail to try to preview Golovkin-Murray was 100% solely predicated on his ability to throw it in another gear mm -hmm. when it mattered most. Unfortunately, he threw it in reverse instead of throwing it into, into high-octane gear. Right. But... We learned something from Martin Murray here is that I think that this is far from the end of Martin Murray. Oh, no. I think the man has two or three years of good prime left. And you know what? To be completely honest with you, Vin, and I know it's a huge physical mismatch. I, I understand this. I would love to see Martin Murray fight Miguel Cotto. So if Cotto's not going to fight Triple G right away, he defends against a legitimate middleweight to give the fans a barometer to see exactly where Cotto stands in the 160-pound division. Yeah, we really don't know. I mean, Because we know he's a, he's a junior middleweight. Yeah, obviously. But I think 155-pound Miguel Cotto against Martin Murray, I think that's an even fight. And you're right. It would be the perfect barometer as to where Miguel Cotto is in the middleweight division. And, and can he, if, if Martin Murray can, can push him around the ring and, and have his way with him, there's, I mean, there's, is there any real reason to watch Triple G do the inevitable, which is completely destroy Cotto? No, no, because I think at that point, Cotto, within two or three fights, the first risk he takes 
he's probably going to lose the belt anyways. Yeah. So we move to the end of the fight then, the 10th round. Triple G just was not wasting punches. He was retracting big shots before he even threw them. And then finally, the timing met at the perfect point, and Triple G just flat out decked Murray with an overhand right. That was the best punch of the fight. Yeah, by far, by <laughs> far. I mean, you knew at that point, it's like, all right, man, I don't want to see any more. No. Didn't it remind you of, of the overhand right that Kovalev dropped Hopkins in the first round? Yeah, it, it really did, yes. I, was, I wonder whose is more powerful. I'm, I'm going to go with Kovalev's. Yeah, probably. There was a lot of criticism that I heard, a lot of backlash on Twitter in regards to the UK telecast of this. I would love to go back and listen to it. A matter of fact, I'm going to put that on my list of things to do this week. Because from what I understand, they were spending a lot of time, as you, as, as the UK announcers do, in making excuses for their guys. Yeah. You know, they do that a lot. They try to convince the audience that their guy is either winning or is being shortchanged in, in some regard. But apparently, they took huge issue with the way in which the style, the technique in which Triple G deploys his overhand rights and his, his hooks that he comes down with sort of a chop to the top of the head, and they're calling him illegal punches. Come on, guys. I, I, I haven't heard one person <laughs> question, question that in this run of knockouts until, of course, one of their guys is getting it, so they got to figure out some reason for it to be not legitimate. Is there something wrong when a guy is facing you, you're standing toe-to-toe, and, and you are facing him? He is guarding his, his eyes down to his kidneys, Mm -hmm. right, from the top of his gloves to his elbows for you to punch where the open real estate is and hit him in the forehead? I I don't see a problem with it, and I don't care if you loop it down. As long as you don't whack-a-mole with the bottom of your fist on on somebody's head, I could care less. Rewind every one of those looping overhands that he throws, and you will see every single one of them. He does it on his hooks to the body, Vin. Yeah. He spins his wrist. Yeah, he turns. He, he turns, turns his, his wrist yeah. every single time. And he gets that last little bit of power out of that out of that turn right there. But we go into the 11th round and what would be the final round. And at this point, you got to think, man, oh, man, he's going to take him the distance, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I, I did. I thought Triple G might back off a little bit, too, because he was giving the kid a pounding. But, man, he got him up against the ropes and with one monster right, you just saw Murray's knees give out. And I swear that the angle and momentum of Murray's body falling back into the ropes like that, if the ropes aren't there, I think he falls right on his ass. Oh, yeah, completely out of the ring onto the yeah. – Yeah. Yeah, it was a, um, a monster shot. Perfect timing to stop the fight. Uh, the referee did a fantastic job, an absolutely fantastic job. And overall, this to me, I learned more about Triple G. I feel better about him as a fighter. Um, there – is criticism from the faction of fans that still think that Andre Ward actually fights. Right. Okay. That somehow Triple G is not a boxer, that he is going to struggle with a boxer. The entire train of thought, that entire theory, okay, what that explains, and I don't even think when people who say that even realize this, is basically what you're telling me is that if you can punch hard, you you just in turn cannot box. Right. No, he punches hard, so he's not a boxer. Like, there are boxer punchers. There are knockout punchers. There are concussive punchers. There are guys that pity pat. Right. You know what I mean? Triple G can box. His strategy is unique and different. Nobody cuts off the ring like he does. Cutting off the ring is part of boxing, correct? Yeah, especially with, with his game. Uh, dude, he cuts off the ring unfriggin' believable, man. Let me ask you this. If Andre Ward could punch like Triple G, would he still be a boxer? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess not. According to that theory, you know. Exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> that, that gets shot right out the bank. So, anyways, Triple G by TKO in the 11th round extends the knockout streak to 19 in a row. Immediately after the fight, your boy, <laughs> Junior, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., okay, woke up from his pot coma. <laughs> And sends out a tweet that first and foremost made me think, okay, who's in control of this guy's Twitter account, okay? First off, I, I, if, if he sent this, then he is as, as, as dumb as, as most people think he is, okay? And this tweet gets 846 retweets and 411 favorites. He says, this is from Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. <laughs> at, J, at JC Chavez Jr. 1. 
Without his power, he's not that good of a boxer. I'll bet you, Triple G, a million dollar of the purse that I'll knock you out if we fight. <laughs> what a what a dickhead. Dude, some of the responses to this tweet are absolutely epic, man. Absolutely epic. Jin J-Town says, and without being able to take a rocket to the moon, Neil Armstrong was not that good of an astronaut either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just goes on and on and on, man. In response to that comes from the promoter of Triple G. Tom Loeffler says, at Triple G accepts the bet, signed the contract this time. <laughs> Retweeted almost 400 times itself. Vince, I am 100% absolutely convinced that when Al Heyman had the meeting with Chavez Jr. to sign his advisory contract with Heyman Boxing, that he literally handed him over a duplicate handbook and rule guide, a company bylines book, the same exact copy that he handed Adonis Stevenson. Yeah, 99 ways for an idiot to avoid a fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's absolutely, uh, that's priceless. Yeah, 99 ways for an absolute idiot to avoid a fight. Now, one thing you got to say is, after that comment from Chavez Jr., does anybody consider him a boxer? No. Is he a, is he a good boxer? No. I mean, what the hell is this guy do? Dude, he is the definition of a just a, a brawler. Yeah, I, that is just the most ridiculous comment in the freaking world, man. If he was a boxer, he would have thrown more than 100 punches in the first 11 rounds against Sergio Martinez. Yeah, I mean, Sergio made him look like just a bum. Yeah, an absolute bum. Yeah. An absolute bum. Uh, unbelievable. All right, so I want to talk about this for a second, Ben. Did you notice, did Jim Lampley seem off to you? You know, I wasn't paying attention to Jim. I really was not. I look, we've, we've had our problems with Jim from last year. I, I you have to tell me cause I, I had the volume turned down. Yeah, no, this wasn't like a, I'm not, I'm not criticizing the guy. He seemed completely off. He kept, he kept misspeaking. Really? Yeah. He kept misspeaking. He, he called, um, he called Marco Antonio Rubio when he was talking about, it. he's like in triple G's fight against Juan Carlos Rubio. Like he was saying like some really off the wall things. When he started talking about the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, he just stopped talking. I think really? he just he started. Yeah, the fight. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. I was like, wow, man, did he go out drinking last night? Like, what happened? I I think maybe I think it was the production crew in his ear that was distracting him because it seemed like there were a lot of hiccups in the production. I don't know any of the details of it. It just seemed that the HBO broadcast was a little bit off. Well, it's weird when they start and they just kind of go right into a fight. It just, yeah, it kind of has no feel, man. It really doesn't. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and what about, uh, and what about Letterman calling in on his cell phone? Yeah. <laughs> you, I don't know. Come on, HBO. You got money. Send a guy out there. Jesus. You're trying to tell me that, that, that Harold Letterman doesn't want to go to Monte Carlo. Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? In the most beautiful place on earth. Yeah, some of them pictures you're seeing. My God. Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, it was kind of a weird broadcast altogether. You know, and then the fact that something that we touched on in the preview and the lead up, um, the fact that they didn't have the undercard televised was enormously frustrating. Yeah. I spent at least two or three hours of my day yesterday trying to figure out how I was going to watch the undercard of Golovkin Murray and how I was going to watch the entire card of Abraham Smith too from Germany. I mean, it was, it was I, dude. I felt like a dog chasing my tail, man. Yeah, some of them streaming sites, boy, they'll they'll send you in loops, won't they? I went to Sky Sports webpage, and they offer to buy a daily pass where you can watch their channel online, and you can start it whenever you want to. It's twenty four hours. You pay, you know, six pounds or you know whatever. Right. And you can watch the channel. And I tried to do it, and it says, sorry, only available inside the UK only. And, like, I had a conversation with a couple people on Twitter, and they were like, why? Like, why is it only, like, the internet is kind of... It's worldwide, right? Yeah, it ties the entire world together. I said something to the effect of, you're sort of kind of missing a little bit of a market Yeah. in the United States by... It's not like it costs them anything extra as far as the broadcasting is concerned. It's actually just free money. Yeah, I, that makes no sense. Uh, yeah, that was an enormously frustrating, man. But needless to say, I did get to see the Hecky Butler fight. You got to see the Hecky Butler fight. And Hecky put on quite a boxing display, didn't he? 
I think those scorecards and those judges kind of missed the fact that he was making Sylvester miss with oh yeah so much oh yeah if you this was a perfect example of a fight where CompuBox would completely mislead you as to the results yep kind of a Timothy Bradley Manny Pacquiao type of thing it's absolutely he, he dominated the fight for sure yeah there was the way in which Butler was forced to fight because of the style of Sylvester you know it, it, it made Butler fight have to react on the inside. Right. You know, Sylvester was not going to stop coming at him. So the only way for Budler to engage him was to get as close as possible to Sylvester, to take the thump off the punch, to reduce the potential for accuracy on Sylvester's part. That was great strategy. But like you said, if you're a judge and Sylvester has his back to you, Mm -hmm. and all you can see is him just wailing, and you can't see Butler on the uh, on the other side. All you can see is a little a little white mohawk sticking up. Right. You know. I mean, it's gonna look like he's taking a pounding. That's how I'm gonna justify those scorecards. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, man. That was some of the best footwork I've seen in a fight in a long, long time. He, he continues to impress for sure. Absolutely. He's not a thumper. No. By no, any means, he no. is a pure boxer. Yeah, and he's accurate as hell. To me, he is a less athletic version of Vasil Lomachenko. Yeah, he is definitely a less athletic. When you see this guy in the ring, and then you just see him as a person, the way he looks, yeah. and you see him box, it doesn't add up, man. No. You're like, where is this guy? Hold on, this guy's that damn good? His style is awesome, though, it, man. It is. It's he's, entertaining. He's so shifty. You know, if if anybody out there wants to watch a fight and watch how footwork can win you a fight watch this Budler versus Silvestri fight because I can tell you right now you will not be disappointed in watching this guy it is an absolute treat to see him in the ring and hopefully you know the executioner is still only 26 years old yeah he's he's entering his prime right now absolutely and hopefully this guy will get on some big cards that are televised in the future hopefully he follows triple g around Oh, absolutely. That would be great. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the biggest difference between him and Lomachenko, obviously, the the reason I compare them is the way they move around the target. You know what I mean? Their footwork around the target. They move in and out and slip and parry. And, you know, it's just, it it really is a treat to watch. The the difference is, is that Vasil Lomachenko could return kicks for an NFL team. Right. You know what I mean? That's the kind of athlete Lomachenko is. Exactly. Yeah, so a, a great performance. The 117-110 scorecard, you know, that made sense to me. I scored it 118-109. to The two 115-112 uh, scorecards, that was just way too close. I had a hard time figuring out the rounds that Sylvester won. They were complete toss-ups to me then. And, you know, you throw that the point taken, that's one round away from from Butler having a, a majority draw. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That would have been a draw. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh about the seventh round of the Butler Silvestre fight is when the main event from the O2 World Arena in Berlin, Germany kicked off. It was the rematch dubbed Judgment Day as Paul Smith returned to challenge the WBO super middleweight champion of the world, Arthur Abraham. You and I have talked about this over and over and over again, okay? This is a fight that we weren't necessarily frothing at the mouth to see a rematch of because. The last fight, it was very, very clear that Arthur Abraham didn't get up for the fight. So it made it much closer and just not not the most exciting fight in the world. The rematch, on the other hand, what'd you think about it? Oh, man. Tenfold better than the first fight. The the action, the exchanges, uh, Arthur Abraham, I don't, I don't want to say a rebirth at the age of 35, but that was one hell of a performance from a guy that's getting old. Well, I mean, they did touch on it during the broadcast about his new contract, his new television contract. So that was incentive right there. Right. But I'm with you, man. He looked unbelievable, man. Yeah, that's I, I can't remember the last time I've seen him that active, yeah. throwing that many punches. Still doesn't throw a ton, but for him, that was a lot. I was thinking early in that fight, well, he's going to be gassed later on. That's what I was thinking, too. His overhand right was devastating. It is, man. That that is that is a thumping overhand right, boy. Man, I can't think how many other fighters 
would have been able to last as long as Smith did. Smith's face was, he wasn't bloodied up, but he was beaten to, his face was like a pin cushion, man. He can wear a shot pretty well, though. Yeah, I give him credit. In those early rounds, man, he, you know, he would take a beating on the ropes, and then it was almost like he was getting shot out of a cannon. He would come firing off the ropes and, and coming right back. Yeah, he'd push Abraham, you know, three-quarters away back across the ring. Really, the issue in this fight was the biggest difference. Obviously, Abraham separated himself from Smith just in preparation alone. Yeah. Smith just has, has a no power. No, he doesn't. In the, in the super middleweight division, you gotta you got to be able to at least sting somebody, at least stun them. He, he just seems to be missing that altogether. These are the questions that we have for prospects in the in the 168-pound division, like his brother, Callum Smith, mm-hmm. and Gilberto Ramirez. Right. Is do they have the power to contend and compete with some of those guys in the division? They, they're some, some big, big hitters in super middleweight right now. What and, it, and big hitters possibly on their way up. So, What are your thoughts on the prospective matchup of Arthur Abraham versus Felix Sturm? Oh, that would be an unbelievable fight. Hey, I want to be in Germany when it happens. I, <laughs> I don't have a passport now. I may get one and go to Germany for that. Dude, that fight is going to be electric. And Stieglitz, if he fights Stieglitz again. That, you kidding me, man? Any any one of those fights. Hey, rebirths are cool with me, man. When you have fighters that at, at, at one time you know, were dominant fighters, and Abraham has had an amazing career, and he did just turn. 35 years old it's not like he's 45 right he's younger than floyd and manny yeah he is he is and he looked great man he really did he did um an impressive victory i scored it 118 to 110 i gave i gave two rounds to smith that was it the judges scored at 116 to 112 and 117 111 times two for a unanimous decision to arthur abraham well that was the main event from Berlin. And all in all, man, I got to say, coming off of the excitement, that was the announcement of Floyd and Manny. I was really, really pumped up about watching boxing. Oh, hell weekend. yeah. Hell yeah. I think there was a lot of people out there making comments that, you know, like this is going to take away from, from the Murray-Golovkin fight. This is going to take away from Abraham Smith, if anything, it made me that much more excited to see real fights. And you wonder, you know, I, fighters are weird, weird characters, but you wonder if fighters hearing the announcement of that fight, like that gives them a little juice because they're boxers. They got to love it too. They got to be wanting to see that fight badly. And it's just one of them things that, you know, maybe that draws a little bit extra out of guys. You, you never know. It's, it's a weird thing. When the announcement came across the wire, all right, I was excited and I was like, okay, I'm ready to go watch some boxing, right? Mm-hmm. So I go up and I turn on Friday Night Fights. And I got about four rounds into the first fight. And that was it. I was done staring at that guy's boobs flopping around and his back acne. And I had such a hard time watching what looked like to me, looked like two high school offensive linemen getting into a fight. The heavyweight boxino tournament. I, it doesn't get any worse. No. You, you you barely have enough fighters in the heavyweight division. Now it's kind of starting to have a rebirth. Where where are you finding these guys? What makes these guys worth putting on TV? And who in God's name can make it through four of those fights? I made it through barely one and maybe a round of the second. You can't get into it. You're kind of just easily distracted. I'm like, God, man. Can I change the channel? Is it is it okay? Can I, do I have to watch this? Oh man! And and on top of it, you have to listen to Teddy Atlas scream. Yeah. For two hours of that, watching a horrible product, and then him on top of it makes it one hundred percent completely unbearable. I'm not Vince, <laughs> unless there is a huge a a, a big off-schedule Friday night fight coming up, which I think there are one or two events coming up right. with decent decent main events. As far as the Boxino tournament goes, I am done. Nah, that's a that's a dumpster fire is what that is. Yeah, I'm not I'm I have no interest in watching any more Boxino. Showbox, okay? Let's talk about this lead in fight to the hometown hero Sammy Vasquez that headlined the most recent episode of Showbox the Next Generation. I'm talking about Umberto Savigny, 
a Cuban fighter coming into the fight with a 12-1 and record with nine knockouts. Knocked out Jeff Lacey in his last fight back in July of 2014, last summer. At that point, that's really when we realized that Jeff Lacey was yeah. a completely shot fighter. 400 amateur fights? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy has some serious mileage on him. And they were trying to pitch him on Showtime is that he didn't have any mileage on him whatsoever. Right. The result of this fight and the way that this thing unfolded against Craig Baker told me one thing. He had way too much mileage. Yeah. Let me get your thoughts when, first off, Vin, when the two of them stood in the ring across from one another. Uh, uh, Savigny looks like, he looked like the much bigger, more built, bigger guy. Oh, he looked he looked huge. huge. He looked huge. Baker looked like he was getting his shot at, at, like, I won the lottery. Like, I don't know why I'm here. Oh, he was smiling. Yeah. Hey, the ending of that fight <laughs> has got to be the most ridiculously, I mean, you couldn't tell if it was exaggerated or what, falling all over the ring, putting his hands up. I have never seen a knockout look so goddamn hilarious in my life. That was the best sobriety check. <laughs> right. That was the best sobriety check that I, I've I've seen, Vin, probably since Costa Zoo knocked out Zab Judah yeah. in their fight. He got knocked down, gets back up, falls down, gets up in the corner, throws his hands up. He's like, did I win? <laughs> and, dude, I had a hard time I, watching the replay over and over again. I was like, what, what punch exactly did, did that? He was hurt at the end of the first round. Obviously, that guy has no chin. I think that there's no questioning that. <laughs> you didn't get hit that hard. Craig Baker is not a he's not a heavy hitter. So I, I think he's been exposed. And, and look, he's I don't think there's any reason for this guy to be fighting. He can't take a punch. No, not at all. You know, what's funny is the reaction of Craig Baker after the fight was over. Oh, my. dude, when he when he got out of the ring and he was walking around high fiving everybody, I'm sitting here narrating. Craig Baker as he's leaving the ring, right? And I just, I did. I'm sitting here. I'm cracking myself up. I'm cracking my wife up. The look on his face was like, and, and you couldn't see what exactly what he was saying, but it was like he was saying, "Yeah, y'all see that shit? <laughs> I don't know what that was, man. How'd that happen? Yeah, man, y'all see that shit? Oh man, it was so. Oh, hey, you got to feel happy for a guy like yeah. that, man. He was just going in there expecting to probably get his ass beat yeah. and get paid. I'm just coming here to get paid. And he beat a, he knocked out a, I guess was a considered a decent prospect, at least at some point. Well, maybe it was the 400 fights with headgear on that just didn't have his head prepared for punches with uh, eight ounce gloves on. Uh, that's what I think. All right, let's take this thing back overseas, Ben. And we're going to go to the Odyssey Arena in Belfast. Northern Ireland for the return of the Jackal. In my opinion, the only Jackal. Carl Frampton, 122-pounder of 122-pounders. The 28-year-old enters this fight against Chris Avalos, at one time a big prospect in the division. Yep. Frampton enters the fight at 19-0 with 13 knockouts, coming off of a huge win at the Titanic quarter in Northern Ireland, where they fabricated from the ground up at the docks their own arena for their guy. Carl Frampton put on a masterclass against Kiko Martinez. He sure did. Have you seen a fighter, Vin, in recent memory that has went from prospect status to the level of buzz that surrounds Carl Frampton in the UK, but in my opinion, will soon end up making its way here to the States. Yeah, I'm going to be pushing Carl Frampton on anybody I can that wants to listen because the guy has, for only 19 fights, and yes, 28 years old, in the prime of his career, I haven't seen a more entertaining fighter from the UK since I, I don't know when. I can't remember. The guy is slick, fast. He's got power, footwork. He can brawl. He can box. He does it all, and he does it all unbelievably good. He's very, very exciting. The buzz around this guy, his fan base is unbelievably loyal. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has fan clubs in his honor. This guy is a big deal in a country that is passionate about its boxing. I think 
maybe getting a little ahead of myself, but he might go down as the greatest Irish boxer ever. Wow. That is, that is a, in four or five years, let's, let's talk again, but yeah. Barry McQuiggan. That's how good this kid is. Really? Yes. In In my opinion. Wow. Yeah. That is a, that is a huge, huge statement. That is high praise. And you know what? I'm not going to argue with you. Guillermo Rigondeau has fewer fights. Guillermo Rigondeau was, was spoken of reverentially in the same way that Jose Abreu was before he came to Major like League Baseball. An underground beast. People knew about Abreu for years. Yeah. They knew that if this guy was ever to successfully defect to the United States, that he was going to step into somebody's lineup and mash 40 home runs. Mm-hmm. And what did he do? He did exactly that. He did exactly that. You're exactly right. And Rigondeau had, Rigo had the same exact buzz. Frampton has taken a different road. Frampton has developed traditionally. Mm-hmm. It's just, he developed so unbelievably fast. I can tell you right now, he may look like Chris Algieri, but this dude is not Chris Algieri. No, he is the polar opposite. Let me jump back to your proclamation about Frampton. Mm -hmm. This is a very, very difficult division. Oh, my God, is it? Okay. One of the best in boxing, if not the best. So I think what you're telling me is is that you think that he's going to beat Rigo. You think he's going to beat Scott Quigg. You think he's going to beat Leo Santa Cruz, right? Yeah. Okay, so if he does this, okay, I guess that would pretty much put him where he needs to be. Mm -hmm. If he fights those three guys and they have the balls to get into the ring with Carl Frampton, you have to think that one or two of those guys is going to involve rematches. You would think. So then you're even piling on the obstacle, the threat of him taking a loss. I don't think a guy like this needs to worry about taking losses. No. I think the way he fights, no matter who he fights, he will be there. We, mm-hmm. We've seen the kryptonite of Rigo. We yeah. have seen it. There were a lot of people in the boxing community that said, do not crown Rigo quite yet because he really hasn't fought anybody. No. And he hadn't. Nope. What we saw is, is that Nonino Donaire's, I'm not going to say his heart, his focus yeah. was put into question around the time frame that the loss to Rigo happened. Well, he was already... Uh, you know, a god in the sport at, at that point in time in his own eyes. So he had made it. Yep, you're exactly right. And then you hear the reports and the stories about the issues with his entire family pulling at him. Mm-hmm. You hear a lot of the same stories with, with Manny Pacquiao as well, you know, about how Filipinos like to be in big groups and they always feel, res- you know, whoever's making the most money always feels responsible to support everybody else. But the stories about Donaire's family is, is that they literally – while he's sleeping, they they go in and take his money out of his wallet. Yeah. You know? So the mental strength of Nonito Donaire was in question during that fight, for sure. And plus, Donaire, you knew he wasn't there. He didn't look like he was in, in the best shape in the world. And he was going for a knockout against a guy that wouldn't get near him. Yeah, he was throwing one punch at a time. Yep, absolutely. So while the feat of the dominance that Rigo showed against Donaire was impressive... In that isolated time capsule, the things that transpired thereafter told you a different story about Rigo. His last fight, I don't know what people were watching in his last fight. I, I, I really don't. I really don't. The only thing that's interesting about Rigo to me is that he boxes in his Cuban school of boxing style, but there's power. If he didn't have any power, he'd be so uninteresting to watch. Right. It would be unbearable. Yeah, his his fights are definitely not the, the most entertaining fight you're going to see, for sure. What do you think happens? I know we're supposed to be previewing this fight against Chris Avalos. What do you think happens in a fight against Rigo? How does that fight go? It would be really, really nip and tuck for a while, but I think Frampton floors Rigo later on in that fight. You think so? Yeah. Late 9, 10, 11, Rigo hits the mat, and once you hit the mat against Frampton, He's going to pounce on you again when you get up, and it'll be over eventually. It's such an interesting fight. But let's talk about the Avalos fight for a second. This opponent that he is going to face on February 28th in Ireland. What are Avalos's prospects in this fight? Avalos is a big puncher and a come-forward guy. So I really feel like the only chance that Avalos has is to knock Frampton out. 
Do I think he can do that? Absolutely not. Because I don't think Avlos has any more power than Kiko Martinez does. Right. And we saw Kiko land some flush left hooks right to the jaw of Frampton. And Frampton wore those like it was nobody's business. Avalos is, he's he's an interesting opponent. And I think he'll make for an interesting fight. You know, he'll stretch it out a little bit. He's not quite at the same skill level as Frampton is. The way that Frampton dominated Kiko Martinez in both their fights said something to me. Because I'll tell you right now, one of my favorite fights of 2013 was Kiko Martinez's triumphant IBF 122-pound championship victory over Jonathan Romero. Mm -hmm. And Romero was, in a lot of people's eyes, the favorite in that fight. A much bigger fighter. Supposedly a much slicker boxer that a guy like Kiko was going to struggle to get in on him. Kiko Martinez flat out destroyed that guy. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward, I thought to myself, I was like, man, this dude is the truth. And then I saw the way that Frampton, what Frampton did to him in that last fight. You know, he knocked him out in the first fight. Mm -hmm. The second fight was more impressive to me. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, he beat him down. To beat down a guy that beat down an other top global talent like a like Jonathan Romero. Yeah. It spoke volumes to me. That was the very first time that I began to peel back the layers mm-hmm. of Carl Frampton. Have you seen the uh, documentary on YouTube? No, I haven't watched him? it yet. I'm definitely going to. The Night of the Jackal, right? Yeah, it's worth watching. The interviews to me, hearing Carl Frampton talk about boxing, tells a lot. He has the mentality that anybody that can appreciate the fighter aspect of, of boxing, the ones, the, the determination, the heart, the lion inside, mm-hmm. um, he has it, you know, he has it 100%. We could sit here and, and, uh, and fluff Frampton all day long. You know what I mean? The fact remains is this, is that Carl Frampton has yet to really put his feet down in the United States. Uh, diehards know of Frampton, but he's not spoke with reverence yet. People still think that Quig will, will, will give him a huge fight. Quig will make it a fight. But he won't win the fight. No, I think Quig's a tough kid. I just don't think he. I don't think he has as many attachments in his Swiss Army knife. Hey Ken, there's levels to this game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's levels to this game. Yeah, yeah. When you reach that Andre Ward level, you know your career is over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. So your prediction for the fight? I'm gonna say Frampton ends it late. Late. Late nine, ten. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with the 10th round knockout. Yeah. We were talking about Jonathan Romero. Avalos lost to Jonathan Romero in 2011. He lost to Chris Martin, who we've seen Chris Martin just get painfully slow. Worked over by Gary Russell Jr., and we know where Gary's at in his career. Yeah. He's a tough kid, but he's just, he's going to be in for a rough night. Yeah, I think so too. I think that Avalos is going to be there to be hit. Mm -hmm. He knows the only way, like you've already touched on. The only way he's going to beat Frampton is by knocking him out. Yep. So to knock somebody out, you have to be right in front of him. Yep. And that is going to serve Frampton all day long. I think that Frampton ends this decisively and drops Avalos a few times in this fight. I, I agree. I'm right with you. Yep. And ends it in the 10th. So there you have it. There's our preview of Carl Frampton versus Chris Avalos. I hope, keep our fingers crossed, the momentum that is 2015 at this point has delivered the promise of great fights moving into the first half of this year. Let's just hope that after Frampton handles business against Chris Avalos, that a Quig Santa Cruz or Rigo is next up. I would love to see him fight Quig before Rigo. I would love to see him come over to America, get on the PBC on NBC and beat the shit out of Santa Cruz. Yeah, I think that's exactly what would happen, too. Yeah. Yeah, there's some exciting fights to be made between 122 and 126 pounds, that's for sure. The prospects of Carl Frampton moving up another weight class, maybe in a year or two. Yeah, he's he's not a big 122-pounder at all. No, he's not. He's only about 5'5", five five and he's got a really short reach. That's, you know, that's one of the things that, that could hinder him moving up. But he doesn't look like he has any problem making weight. He's in amazing shape. Yeah. But it would be interesting because there are some exciting fights at at 126, but there are some big, big featherweights. Yeah, and I think there's a couple guys at 126 that might be a bigger step up 
in competition than some of the guys at 122. Oh, absolutely. The guys that sit on top of the throne in the featherweight division are tough tasks. I mean, you have thunderous punchers and you have two of the best boxers pound for pound in the world in Nicholas Walters and Vasil Lomachenko. Man, those are man, those are some dream. Can matchups. we just combine that? There's only four pounds between the two right. divisions. Why not? Just combine them into one division. We don't need the the super duper light middleweight heavyweight of the world. Let's have an eight man tournament combined one twenty two and one twenty six. <laughs> oh, that would be so much fun, man. God. I would give Frampton third best odds. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have to put Lomachenko up at up at the top of that list. While we're fantasizing here. How much do you want to see Vasil Lomachenko fight Guillermo Rigondeau? Oh, my God, please. <laughs> I think I want that fight almost more than I want the Walters fight. I just want to see Rigo's face shoved in it. <laughs> oh, man, that would be fantastic. Uh, it's going to be another interesting weekend of fights. And, again, if anybody from Matchroom or Box Nation or Sky Sports or whoever, anybody over in the U.K., please make available we will pay per view yeah. HD streaming online. I don't have a single problem with paying 20 bucks. Let's start at 10. Okay, let's start at 10. Yeah, I don't, yeah exactly. We don't want to outprice ourselves here in these negotiations we're having right now. <laughs> Dude, I would easily pay for these fights. I, I'm with you, man. I don't see any reason why they can't do it. Hopefully they will one day. I mean, this is the business of making money. I've never met a boxing promoter that didn't want to try to squeeze as much water out of a pile of sand as these guys do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. It's going to be an exciting weekend on February 28th. I want to talk to Frampton. <laughs> Squares off against Chris Avalos. Um, what should be pretty entertaining fight. And, uh, man, we had a hell of a weekend. Big announcement. Triple G knocks out Martin Murray. Abraham puts on a show. 2015 looking good. Brother. I know, man. There is so much left on the horizon. Yeah. But we will save that for future episodes. I know you're asking, you're wondering, you're like, where's the Mayweather Pacquiao talk? Where's the Mayweather Pacquiao talk? Stay tuned in the next coming days for a brand new episode of The Boxing Rant, where Vince and I break down everything and anything in depth on a special edition of The Boxing Rant. So... I think that'll do it for episode 37 of the tale of the tape we cover it like we always do buddy but then will andre ward ever fight again i don't think we need him anymore do we <laughs> no we absolutely do not man the world just keeps on trucking so that'll do it for this episode of the tale of the tape be sure to stop by the for all the archived episodes of the tale of the tape and the boxing rant and stop by the mailbag and leave all of your questions comments topics anything you want to talk about on future episodes of the tale of the tape leave them at the mailbag at theboxingrant.com i'm your host kenny keith of theboxingrant.com and for my co-host vince cummings we thank all of you for tuning in to this special post-fight edition of the tale of the tape boxing podcast here on theboxingrant.com 